everybody. Hello, if you're here on Facebook, if you're watching Facebook Live, or if you're here joining us on Zoom today, thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to ask as many questions as you like. Uh, I have a lot of questions myself about the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame, what it is, uh, what it does. Uh, I can't wait to dive into that. Um, we are also going to um, be putting this out on a podcast called Airtime. That's going to go live, I believe, next week. So hello, if you're listening from the podcast, we hope that you can sit back, enjoy whether you're driving or whatever you're doing and listen to this and, and find out more about something here in our country, in Canada, about, um, about the Canadian Aviation, Aviation Hall of Fame and what it actually means. So again, as always, this airtime is brought to you by Elevate Aviation. My name is Kendra Kincaid. I am your host. And like I said, sit back, relax, and we're going to just dive right into this. So today, I am pleased to bring you our guest. Our guest today is Aja Davis. Hello. Hello. So, so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. And so Aja is the executive director and curator at the Canadian Hall of Fame. And she is coming to us today from Wetaskiwin, Alberta. So if you wondered where the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame was, I guess where it was and where it runs out of, it is Wetaskiwin. And if you don't know where Wetaskiwin is, you can Google it. I'm not going to tell you how to spell it. You have to figure it out. No. Um, and uh, anyway, it's, it's a little, it's a little place just in the I guess in the middle of Alberta between Calgary and um, just south of Edmonton so again welcome how are you I am doing great every day is a good day that's good that's good and um, where we are in the world right now we are here in Alberta going into lockdown tomorrow so um, maybe we'll get into that for a little bit and find out if you're being affected by that um, but first I want to find out about about you so we met just a little while ago. Uh, as I said, I'm so I'm so happy that we actually met. And you know, I never thought about the Canadian Aviation Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame. Like I've never really, never really thought about. I have gone to one of the ceremonies two years ago, and um, I was like, wow, this is nice. This is quite the gala. And it was it was so, it was it, I felt so privileged to be there. Um, so first, let's talk about you. How did you find your way? into this career? Because I love showing off careers in aviation and people are kind of wondering, you know, what other jobs are there besides flight attendant and pilot? And here's one that people don't think of. We, we had a curator from uh, the Canadian Aviation, uh, Canadian Aviation Museum down in Ottawa. Yeah, that was Erin Gregory, wasn't it? Yes, had her on for a little while ago. Did you actually connect with her yet? Yeah, yeah, reached oh, out. Well, added her on Facebook. We haven't gotten to the conversation part yet conversation part yet but we'll get there very shortly probably immediately after this oh good one like one of the things I love so much about Elevate Aviation is that we get to connect people so we yeah. had Aaron on who's a curator down there in Ottawa and then when I met you and you're a curator here and I'm like do you know Aaron like we need to connect you guys in a mentorship sort of way and and uh, and let you guys explore each other but okay tell us about you so were you born in Metasquin? I was actually born in the booming metropolis of Edam, Saskatchewan. So it's about 400 people, including the dogs. And it's pretty much an hour east of Lloydminster, hour north of North Battleford. And I grew up on my parents' farm that bordered the North Saskatchewan River. And 
vast open skies out there. And especially with being close to the river and uh, working the farmland and my dad's interest in history, he was like, you should become an archeologist. And I was like, no. So I ignored that advice for about 20 years. But at the same time, it's myself and my brother. And my brother always knew he was gonna be a pilot. He knew by the time he was three he was going to be flying and so I found it really weird like the day after he turned 16 that he's like I want to start going to Saskatoon to do ground school and I'm like well this is coming out of nowhere but in hindsight whenever my family went to the dentist he would always get like the styrofoam airplanes that you would build together and anytime we were on a road trip and he was reading a book in the car it was always like a World War II book about aviation or aviation business and stuff and so he always knew my parents knew I was going to be a professional student. They didn't really know what I was going to do, but I was always going to be committed to learning. So fast forward to when I went for my undergrad and I started in international relations and political science because I'm like, this is a real job. Like you can't make a passion or a hobby into a career. Like that's ridiculous. I changed course very quickly. And I actually went into art history, religious studies and anthropology. Anthropology, believe it or not, was in archaeology. So, and then with art history, it was kind of the same thing with aviation. You know that with an art history degree, you're going to work in a museum, but that sounds kind of stagnant and boring and everyone does that. And so I went to Jemmy Kelly, who was director of the Owens Art Gallery in Sackville, New Brunswick at the time. And I was like, Jemmy, I want to do art history, but I don't know. I, I know I just don't want to work in a museum. So she put me in contact with Jane Tisdale, who is the conservator at the Owens Art Gallery. And just on a hunch, I reached out to her. We connected so deeply. I love her so much. I don't know if Jane will ever watch this, but shout out to Jane. So that's where um, kind of archeology span and museum studies in a sense kind of combined was through art and archeological museum object conservation. So I went to the UK for my master's and then when I finished up and I was moving back to Saskatchewan, Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame was looking for a collections manager. I'd been to the site before, like with Braden's interest in aviation and, and he's been a pilot for a long time now. It, it just kind of came together because it's not so much about the mechanics of the aircraft so much as it is the stories of the people who changed Canadian aviation. And that was so up my alley. So I jumped in and um, when I first started working for CAF, I brought the median age down to like 75. <laughs> All of our <laughs> volunteers and people were aviators at heart and like in insanely talented and just knew the system. And uh, I was just kind of a, a fresh person into the, into the scene, but they said, well, we're looking for someone to take over the office eventually. And so if you get this job, this will be the expectation down the road. And wow. sure enough, now I'm here as curator and executive director. Thank you for your patience with my story, but <laughs> it's one of my favorite ones to tell. Well, and how long have you been in this role? Or how long have you been with them all together even? Um, I started working for CAF February 9th was my first day which was a Friday, but I just went out for lunch with my boss. So my first official full day was February 13th, 2017. So in February, it'll be four years since I've started working with CAF. And I've only been executive director since like November 19th, 
2019. So it's been just over one year. And it's so funny because you get used to the system and how things are going to go. And yeah, the year that you plan is not the year that you have. <laughs> yeah. It's been so a big learning curve. And let's talk about this. So you, you get, you know, you, yay, new position for you. And now there's COVID. Did, did COVID, how did COVID change your job? Oh, there's a lot of ways that COVID changed my job, um, but lots of positives. And I mean, that's the only way that you can really look at it in a sense, or the only way that I personally felt I could approach this. So it gave CAF and our organization and me the space to just stop because everything stopped. And we get to look at every single thing that we're doing and we get to highlight what's working great, what's going well, what we want to keep doing, and what we want to do differently. So with Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame, people are used to the induction dinner and the gala that we have every single year, except for this year. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah <but> that sucks. <laughs> so I guess that's, that's just the way that it goes. But it, it gave us kind of time and space to look at the gala even and say, like, we've been a quote that's been awesome this year is if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And CAF is now in a position, has momentum to start thinking about things differently, approaching things differently, doing things differently. So 2020 has been a great reset and recharge year. Like all the volunteers and the National Board of Directors Operations Committee, everyone is so hands on deck to do things differently and to just facilitate change. And so it, it's kind of hard to see because there's not really too much going on and we're not as visible, but there's a lot that's happening behind the scenes that we're really excited to share with everyone in the future. And has COVID, uh, Sharon has a question here. How is COVID changing the museum for people that are wanting to come and visit? Is that still an option? Oh, so after tomorrow with restrictions in Alberta, that's one thing that I didn't clarify is that Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame is the not-for-profit on-site partner of the Reynolds Alberta Museum. So all of our COVID mandates are essentially set by the government of Alberta that puts it on the Reynolds Alberta Museum because the Reynolds Alberta Museum is a provincially owned and operated museum. Um, in terms of how it's kind of affected us in visiting, for CAF specifically, we've had to take down a number of our member panels to make room for physical distancing. Because if, if you're at the aviation display hangar at the Reynolds, we just have like the um, external walls essentially to work with and a little bit in the aisleway. So we had to change and take down a lot of our display cases that had our objects and artifacts and move member panels. But we're also reimagining how to bring them forward to the public. One of the things that we don't have ironed out now, Sharon, but that we're looking to do in the future is we're going to really dive into a more online presence because we realize that we're really limited in a sense of being tied to the Reynolds and to the Wetaskiwin. We're so grateful to be here. Don't get us wrong. We love it here. But in terms of reaching a wider audience, we just can't do that in Wetaskiwin as well as we could in Edmonton or in Ottawa or so forth and so a lot of a lot of what we're going to do in the future is going to be accessible online does that help answer your question 
Yeah. Okay. So you're actually in the Reynolds Museum. I wasn't even sure how that worked. Okay. And it's always been there. How long has that, that been? Uh, it's been in Wetaskiwin since 1992-1993. That's when the Reynolds Alberta Museum opened. Originally, we were actually up in Edmonton. Um, and we were there from inception in 1974 until 1991-92 when the government of Alberta came to CAF and said, well, we're looking to set up this aviation um, mechanization of Alberta Museum in Wetaskiwin, and your stories would be perfect for that. So... So were you in the Edmonton Museum, the Edmonton Aviation Museum? We were originally at the Shaw, I believe it was the Shaw Convention Center. I'm actually going to just double check that quickly because we were also um, at the Sportex building at the Edmonton Exhibition Grounds originally when we were formed in 1974. Um, Oh, we went to the Edmonton Convention Center. My apologies, not the Shaw Convention Center. (laughs) Okay. And then okay. we were in Wetaskiwin. Okay. And so, okay. The, so let's just step back for a sec. So the forming of this museum was, or the organization was what year again? So essentially what happened was way back in March of 1973, there was a number of Order of Icarus members that met in Calgary. So that was like Punch Dickens, we had um, Stan McMillan, Walter Gilbert, Max Ward, uh, Sammy Tomlinson, they all came together and the Calgary Herald ended up publishing an article saying something to the effect of Calgary or Canadian Aviation Hall of Famers meet in Calgary. And they were looking at forming Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame. It started with an idea, but they didn't really know how it came together until after this Calgary Herald article came out and they're like, oh, we'll just call it Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame. And so that sparked a ton of work because they had to consider like who was first going to be inducted into the hall. So they looked at the uh, McKee Trophy recipients, Order of Icarus recipients, all um, Air Victoria Cross recipients and other notables in the aviation industry. So when CAF held its first induction dinner in July of 1974, we actually inducted 79 members that year. Wow. And then you didn't, you weren't thinking of spreading them out or I guess they weren't thinking of spreading them out at that time, eh? Let's just do 79. Yeah. So they started with 79 and um, fun fact, one of them was actually Trans Canada Airlines, which as we know, eventually formed into Air Canada, but that brought about, okay, so how do we honor businesses and organizations and institutions that contribute to Canada's aviation history and legacy. And so that's when our award, the Belt of Orion was formed in subsequent years. And also after that first induction ceremony in July of 1974, the the nominations process was formed and refined so that we were only inducting maybe up to five people each year to keep it more consistent. That would be a long ceremony if you did 74 people (laughs) and it was in the middle of July and it was in um I can't remember what hotel it was but everyone's wearing like their formal wear and it was sweltering and there was about 600 people in the building so it was a really exciting time but some of the um participants and attendees said that it was a very very warm affair (laughs) wow 
Okay, so Perry's asking, how does a person nominate someone to get into the Hall of Fame? What is the process? That is a great question. Thank you for asking, Perry. So we've actually made changes to how we receive nominations, but I'll just take a step back quickly. Contrary to popular belief, Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame does not select people for induction in the sense that we do not bring forward nominations ourselves. Every single person besides like the original 79, I would say, were nominations brought forward by the public. So we can only, or not we, the nominations review committee, which is a fair, anonymous, <laughs> compassionate, honest group of volunteers well-versed in all aspects of aviation and aerospace in Canada. They go from what they have, the list of people of who have been brought forward. So if there is someone that you think is worthy of nomination for the hall, please put that in. And if you know that there's someone who is nominated that is in the system, don't hesitate to write a letter of support for it. I digress. I get really excited about the nominations process. So sometimes no, it's great. Just like, is, are, there, are there a number of people that are in that bank right now? Like, is there like a hundred people that have been nominated that haven't been given the award or I guess inducted into the hall of fame that are still sitting there that you guys will go back and look at every year? Like, do you look at them every year? So um, I'm going to follow the Disney world rule right now when you're at Disney World and you're you're doing a behind the scenes tour and you ask a question they'll have two responses essentially they'll say that's a great question and if they don't know the answer they'll go find the answer and if you ask a question that they're not at liberty to discuss or to say they will say that's a really good question and they'll just leave it at that so just just like <laughs> so this that was a really good question <laughs> that was a really good question so in terms of um 2020 to 2021 our deadline is May 31st and to go back to your point Perry um, you can do or all of our criteria and information regarding nominations is on our website which is www.cahf.ca and if you go to the home page there will be a banner along the top and there will be a blue button on the left that says nominate. So you can click on that and it'll give you all the criteria for an individual nomination and a belt of Orion nomination. In many cases, all we can really tell people is to go to the website, read the criteria. That's about as in-depth as we can get. Um, but in terms of the bank of people that are nominated at the moment, what I can say is that 2020 to 2021, our deadline again being May 31st of every year, has kind of worked in our favor because COVID allows more people with more time on their hands, right? Which means more dedicated time to putting in nominations. So earlier this year at the May 31st cutoff, we didn't have hardly any submissions. So our nominations review process was... Um, decided to be canceled or forfeited for the summer, but we're picking it back up this year and moving forward no matter what. So, wow. yes, and, and there's an online option 
now and too. So you don't have to necessarily like do all the paperwork and then mail it to the office and do all these hard good. (laughs) Yeah. So with this new nomination process online, you make an account. I can't remember the exact company that sets it up, but it will save all of your answers as you type them in, but it follows the same criteria as what is like labeled, labeled out in the process. And so you can like save it, go back to it, add a little bit in, save it go back to it later so and, and the digital copy just comes to the office okay so that's really good that people can save it and come back because um I'm, I'm assuming i'm imagining it's a long process but i don't know um okay listen what is the oldest and the youngest age of a person that's been inducted into the hall of fame <sighs> do you oh. know <laughs> i should have warned you about some of these questions <laughs> oh that's okay so um I don't know if I can speak to the oldest person that's ever been nominated, but I know in recent years with John Bogey in 2018, I believe he was in his late 90s when he was actually selected for induction. Um, he was like, it, finally, I'm 96 years old. <laughs> and it, it's it's kind of hard to say too, because we have so much longevity within like our members. Um, in terms of their lifespan, like one, um, one of our oldest living members right now is 110, I believe like 108, 110. So it's almost like CAF is kind of like the fountain of youth. And especially when you think of like the volunteers who are so passionate about it and their demographic as well. Like, but I think that speaks to passion, right? Because people are so passionate and so driven by, the service to do good and to honor this this highlight reel of individuals and businesses who have impacted Canadian aviation history. That reminds me of something else, Kendra, that I want to speak to on nominations really quickly is okay. that you do not have to be born in Canada to be nominated for the hall so long as the nomination proves that there was a significant contribution to like Canada's aviation history and legacy and the amazing thing about the hall is there is no single um job in a sense in aviation that's off the table we have medical doctors we've got artists we've got authors we've got photographers we've got pilots we've got business administrators we've got aircraft mechanics we've got astronauts we've got like Everyone. And that's what I love so much about CAF too, is like, even if you look at um, our members, nearly half of our inducted members, of which there are 235 right now with four in the wings because of 2020, um, nearly half of them have been born elsewhere. And even like we have a representative, I'm sure, from almost every single province and territory in Canada. I'm not sure about Nunavut or the Yukon. So I'd have to double check on that. But yeah, like. Well, that answers Trevor's question because he asked, do do Hall of Famers, are they mainly pilots, AMEs, ATCs and business or are there other jobs? So, so yeah, I guess there's a lot. So that's, that's good. That's good because, because, you know, some people might think it's just sort of like, you know, pilots are, would be the, the number one and maybe they are the number one. I don't know that's nominated, but so Sharon's asked a question that, um, a question that I wanted to know too. Um, are there women being on, honored more now than in the past? And who was the first woman inducted? Ooh. And I want to know how many women have been inducted. 
Oh, that's a good question. So, and I actually know that question. So um, in 1974, uh, for the inaugural induction ceremony, the first woman that was inducted was Molly Riley. Molly? Okay, who's Molly Riley? I feel like I should know that and I don't. <laughs> oh, and like, and I guess that's kind of the tough thing too, or, or some of the personal pressure that I feel in my own head and in my own mind, no one's ever told me this, but I mean, I've been working for CAF for four years and I know people's names and I know very briefly their histories, but I so badly want to be an expert on all of these people. And I am by no means an expert on all of these people. So I'll just quickly go find um, Molly Riley's profile. I know that there's an I, I'm sure there's people out there that are like, how do you not know? <laughs> I know I feel that way too. They, the people probably think that we should know right offhand and, and we probably should, but um, Molly Riley. Mm -hmm. And um, to go back to the other part before I forget, um, Shirley Render was selected for induction. Her ceremony was supposed to take place in 2020, but she would make the 11th woman who's been inducted. 11th woman and how many people all together have been inducted 235 so less okay. than 5% of our inducted members at this point in time are and are, are these women the 11 women are they more in recent years like the last like would, would like nine of them be in the last five years sort of thing or are they spread out I would say that it's certainly been the the public has done an excellent job of putting forward many notable and worthy women for nomination. So we're seeing their names come across the table more and more. Um, so I, I'm not sure. I can't really speak to what it was like in the past, especially like the last like 20, 30 years or so. Um, but I know in recent years, there's certainly been a push to put more names forward but it's it's also kind of career-based too right because um for example we've got um governor general julie payette she was inducted selected for induction in 2010 she's actually probably the young one of the youngest members that we have inducted into the hall um and with her astronaut career she was able to demonstrate so much in such a short period of time and even going back to speaking to why some people might not be inducted until their 90s or so is also career related as well right it's harder to nominate someone off the bat unless they've done something incredibly exceptional mm -hmm. for aviation right off the bat and you kind of it, it's almost like a journey of like watching and seeing like how people develop and like how they've contributed to change and stuff like that and and it's almost like you have to i hate to say it but almost like have patience and allow enough time for the right information to be gathered before it can be put forward um i'm not sure if yeah that makes helpful sense at all. and then um also to speak to molly riley for a quick second mm -hmm. um with inducting 79 people in 1974 you'll notice on our website that their their biographies in particular are um not as elaborate, I suppose, as some of the others. So one of the things that we're looking at doing right now is also expanding upon those. So next time I'm on airtime, I will know Molly Riley inside out and backwards. <laughs> I guarantee it.
That's okay. That's okay. Um, Sharon's asking, is it required that nominees be alive when they're nominated? No. Okay. So even for example, um, in 2019 in Montreal, um, David Fairbanks had his ceremony, um, but David Fairbanks passed away in 1952, I believe, or in the 1950s there somewhere. So there's no prerequisite that they have to be living. It is certainly nice for the accolade and the honor for sure, but it's, it's, not, it's not a requirement. It, it just would impact how much information or research you would be able to find to build the nomination. That would definitely be the tricky part. But then you've got curators and then you've got archivists and librarians and you've got like history PhD students. And like, I think that's, yeah, another cool thing about aviation is just all the different crossovers and like people can just come together in, in a really big way because one of the things that one of my directors, Gordon Burt, well, not my director, but CAF director, Gordon Bertarelli says is there's not a single industry that does not owe itself to the mighty airplane. And you think about it and it's like, wow. Wow. You know, that's one of the reasons I love doing these webinars and, and, um, and the point of doing these webinars is, is to try to showcase the incredible careers and the incredible people that are in aviation that, you know, the general public doesn't really think about it. And so the more we can show these incredible careers and, and just how many interesting areas there are you know hopefully more people will take a look at the industry and and um because as you know i can tell by you and everyone i talk to that's in aviation if you're in aviation you're passionate and it doesn't mean you have to yeah. be passionate about aviation to get into aviation there's some sort of transformation yeah. that happens once you get in and it's like oh i don't want to do anything else this is this is unique it's different than everything else in the world and and I, I don't ever want to leave it. So, oh, certainly. And I think that brings up a great point too, because um, for me, I just happened to be lucky that my brother pursued an excellent career with aviation. I, I was familiar with the lingo and maybe some of the concepts and the people, but like the more that I dive into it and the more that I network and connect with other people, it just opens up all these possibilities. And like even my colleague, Catherine, her desk is over here, which is to where I'm pointing. She's not in the office at the moment, but she had zero aviation background before she came to work for CAF, but now she's just so in it. And I think that's the other thing too. She's also a museum person and archaeologist, two archaeology people running a national not-for-profit on aviation. It's just bizarre, but <laughs> it's, it's going and it's working. And I mean, we... I can't believe I'm actually going to say this on the podcast, but we love our job so much that we routinely forget to pay ourselves. Oh, don't do that. I know. <laughs> so I always have to have my accountant remind me just in case like, oh, don't let this month go by. And it's like, okay. But I mean, that just speaks to how much we love what we do and how much yeah. we give into that yeah. passion in a sense. Yeah. And that's what we want for people, right? We want people to find that passion and know yeah. that they can have a career that they show up and it doesn't feel like work. I mean, maybe, okay. Maybe some days it's like, you know, oh, today's not the best, but overall, right? Like it doesn't feel yeah. like work. It feels like you're doing something and, and you're happy about doing it. Okay. So in your job, um, I want to talk about what you do as a curator there. So um, one of the things you do involves a collection and um, I was curious in the in the in your part of the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame, what's in it? Is it 
it, are there only items from the people who've been inducted? And so you showcase maybe their pen, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like, is it, tell me about that. I'll stop there. <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> oh, so in the past, um, when Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame was formed in 1974, it was easy to have members donate items to the collection. And over the years, um, that didn't become a priority for members. And that's not to say anything positive or negative. It's just how it went. It's just an observation. Um, but it got to the point where we started accepting anything from anyone that was aviation related. And up until a few years ago, we had to put before my time, we put a hard stop and said, like, we can only accept things at this point in time from our inducted members their immediate families or with the exception of um, like an aircraft model or something that relates to our belt of Orion organizations. That's kind of a little bit where the leeway is from. But what were honest, you getting? Like, do you have an example of some things you were getting that you had to put a stop to? <laughs> getting tons of posters, like posters of the snowbirds, or we were getting things like, um, cutlery that was from uh ward air that was kind of an exception because it it related to max ward but at the same time it was cutlery it was stuff that we already had and it didn't even come from him or his family it we get here we go so <laughs> the other week i was out of the office and i got a call that someone had dropped off a donation for canada's aviation hall of fame and i was like I didn't have anything written down for this. Okay, what was it? I went in to check at the loading bay at the museum here what it was. And it was cardboard cutouts of pieces for aircraft models or like how to like put them all together. But they weren't kept in the best condition and the cardboard was very deteriorated. So to go back, part of the problem that we ran in, into in the past is that people would just offload anything aviation related to us. Um, whether it was in good condition or not. And I mean, this is another thing of why I believe over time people, and by people, I mean inducted members didn't donate as many objects to the hall is like, there's so much sentimental value there. Like for nice. Dan McIver, for example, he's an inducted member of our hall and he was prominent for um, aerial forest fighting in BC and those um, practices and, and the Martin Mars um, became util utilized across North America, um, we are so lucky that we have an artifact that represents almost every single aspect or milestone of his life. But the one thing that we don't have is his Order of Canada medal, rightfully so. Like <laughs> the family would want to keep that, right? But in terms of sentimental value, people people want to hold on to those things. Yeah, you um, have something behind you, right? Yes. So um, I have uh, the Belonka that was in our diorama on, on site at the aviation display hangar. Um, it, it had a lot of water damage from a few years ago, and I'm still trying to work on piecing it back together. But over here, um, this is like one of my favorite objects ever. So this is um, A.M. Barry's Anson camera, and I conserved it and fixed it all up. Um, last year with the exception of like the leather or the pleather that's 
not working there. Uh, I wonder if I can put this down here. Wow, that is quite the camera. It's so lovely, but it's got a great story. So he was flying with a number of passengers and it was in the middle of winter. I can't remember the exact dates off the top of my head, but uh, the plane ended up going down and all the passengers were able to make it off. Hooray. Yeah. But um, all of their luggage and belongings was stuck on the aircraft, which was submerged under the water and under the ice. So it took a few days to recover that aircraft. But we didn't, this camera has been on display on site for probably decades at this point in time, or at least like 10 years. But it's not until you go into the collection and go through the logbook and A.M. Barry writes down, oh yeah, plane went down and so did my camera. I was so happy when I got it back because I just had to fix it up and then it's in working condition again. And I mean, this is the thing that you don't get from their member biography, right? Is that A.M. Barry loved photography. And he was an amateur photographer his whole life through. Or um, the other thing is like with A.M. Gilbert's artifacts uh, just up here in the box, like he did a lot of work up north and there's like so many archeological artifacts in there too, or like, like bone pieces from dog sleds. And like, you don't always get that almost lived experience or lived moment by just reading about an aviation yeah. history right or um even even with Gilbert and stuff when he was going to um uh the Hudson's Bay Company like the first part of his book was all records of like what he did and logging his flights and what adventures happened but at the back of the book it was just all grocery lists and there'd be like circled get coffee (laughs) don't forget (laughs) coffee or something like and that's why I love going through the collection is because these objects and the reason why artifacts and stuff is so important and why we really close down that window of what we accept is because like the anchors are also stories to Canadian aviation history but they also like speak to the personal element because when we when we interact with people we love and admire so much we kind of like put them on a pedestal and we only look at like a specific view or window of like how we interpret them whereas with objects it's kind of like you're looking here but there's some other really cool stories over here or this is something that they loved as a person that maybe they might want people to know or does yeah wow that makes sense yeah like like how important is this you know like that you are you know documenting in fact you know you're documenting history you're showcasing people who really made a difference in Canadian aviation. I mean, this is important stuff. Do you agree? (laughs) Obviously. Oh, absolutely. One of our members, he's actually the only uh, living inaugural member that we have at the moment after the passing of Max Ward uh, earlier in November. Um, Bud White said at a meeting earlier this year that CAF is the custodian of his career. And he trusts that we'll take care of it and do it justice and and share it where we can. And once he said that, it was kind of like the light bulb went off and I was like, oh, flip, that's true. And I feel like even just hearing that, I was already passionate about my job, but now it's just taken it to like a whole new level. Wow. Oh, um, Perry's asking, what are you looking for in donations? And what is the one thing you would love to have if space or money was not a problem? <gasps> what a great <laughs> question, Perry. Thank you for asking. Oh my gosh. 
So in terms of donations, that's something that we did differently because on our website, you used to click on the donate button and it would bring up a scanned PDF of please write your check to Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame. And um, now we have um, an online donation bin in a sense through donor box. And so um, back at the CAF website, www.cahf.ca, top banner, drop down to the two buttons. The one on the left is nominate, the one on the right is donate. And so you click on that and you can just do a one-time donation or recurring donation. Right now, our regular stream of donations comes through our friends' memberships and subscriptions. So people would pay $50 to receive like our quarterly newsletter, the flyer, and they'll get correspondence from the hall. We're looking at having um, like friends meetings or donor meetings in 2021. But um, I would say if there was, um, oh, and you get a charitable tax receipt as well. There okay. used to be benefits to coming to the museum, but that isn't always really the case anymore. And that's okay, because that yeah. is what it is. And it just gives you room to just stop, pause, expand, overcome an obstacle. Um, but if anyone, if anyone feels passionate about aviation, or um, we, we have people that make memorial, Backtrack. Because <laughs> I, I think what I want to say is, I know for me, I can only speak for me personally, but I love making donations in the name of people that I love and admire or even mentors I've had. And so I feel like if you want to give a really meaningful Christmas gift like this is one opportunity or way that people might be able to do that and to celebrate oh, that's very nice their yeah. mentors. because yeah. we actually had a number of people sign up for Father's Day and I'm like why didn't we do a campaign before like that's yeah. a great idea <laughs> you'll know for next year you'll know for next Father's Day and International yes. Men's Day and all those days um so what would it be what what would be your dream donation if it wasn't money like what like is there something in the entire world if you had if and all the people who are inducted like is there is there one thing that you wish you had oh so I guess at this point in time um it, it's kind of a twofold answer so in terms there and that's the beautiful thing is like there's financial value but there's social value historical value and like there's value everywhere if you just kind of take a moment to stop and appreciate it so in terms of financial value like we would like to one day call in accept manifest whatever you like a million dollar donation because that would secure us at this point in time for a few years because calf with always doing the same thing over time just kind of left us little and little and little a little less a little less but if we were able to have a donation of that size, if it comes in little pieces or if it comes all at once, that would just help us to ensure that if anything like 2020 happens again, we don't have to worry about like, well, how's our staff getting paid, which mm -hmm. is something like so many people have been struggling with. And I empathize completely. But the most important donation is time. We would love for 
members or the public or anyone to just think about CAF and just donate their time. I mean, um, we're <laughs> a group of people who are very passionate, but we don't always have all the skill sets, right? right? And sometimes we get caught up in what we're doing in our own little world that we forget we can reach out and ask and be like, hey, does anyone have any video content tech skills or does anyone have <laughs> does anyone want to translate French for us or something like that right and so I think yeah just at this point in time time yeah yeah I I understand that coming from another nonprofit. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying there um okay so I need to get to Caroline's question because you and I spoke about it before uh what what's going on with your background with the poster in the background tell, tell us what this is what's all what's that all about so this is actually part of my vision board in a sense so you can't see all of it and I tried to tilt the screen a little bit earlier but it keeps unplugging the monitor and I have to reboot the whole system oh, <laughs> so don't do that <laughs> I won't do that but um I'm just looks like see. Julie Payette there is that Julie Payette yeah so I have, because um, we get um, the governor general, whoever is installed to do a letter for us for the induction dinner and like welcome the new inductees. And it's just so sweet since she's the governor general now because she's been so good about correspondence and just writing really heartfelt things. And so her picture is up here with some of her letters, um, donations and correspondence we've had from the office. Um, I have photographs of all the members we've lost this year. so. Max Ward's here, Bill Wheeler's here, uh, Bill Carr's up there. You you can't see it because it's out of the screen. Right. Um, um, Ron Peel, Fern Villeneuve, Russ Bannock. And then this part is kind of like CAF's overall plan. So this is like our overall vision for what we want by June 3rd, 2021 at five o'clock on the Thursday, that or something better, we believe and know that this is 100% possible and we will be committed to do what it takes to have what we want. And then just kind of breaking it down into like education and outreach. So we've got the flyer, we've got our podcast, oh, knocking stuff off on my desk, <laughs> podcast that we're working on, um, research and content. So expansion of staff over time, fingers crossed, um, rebranding re social media, revitalization. Um, but it also ties into visibility. So we've got our formal committees, our induction ceremony, and then what we have for ideas for fundraising. So all of these little things are broken down into whether they're daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals. Very nice. Very nice. If you're, if you're listening to this on the podcast, she actually has this all on a wall behind her uh, all written out in different circles and squares and pictures so that's fa that's fantastic that is really good um so you and i were talking about uh mentorship and we're going to enter into a, a, a six-month relationship i'm so excited about that um so i'm i'm personally curious do you have one of those for your personal life <sighs> not as formally written out and you know that's that kind of speaks to me in a sense is I'm so career oriented. It's really easy for me to look at CAF or look at whatever I'm working on and break things down into goals. Whether I prioritize that or time management well <laughs> is another story. But in terms of like um, 
um, a personal vision board, I feel like my dream and idea changes all the time. So I feel like it's been harder for me to commit to a formal vision board in the same way that I did this one. But in the last few days, I'm like, it's going to happen over Christmas and especially heading into 2021, because this has been so helpful and I really need to apply it to all aspects of my life. And really, um, my career is just an aspect of who I am. Like really the priority should be doing it for myself first and then applying it to CAF. But hey, you know, we, we all have, have our flaws. <laughs> we have something to work on over the next six months. Yes. Yeah. So um, we're coming to the end. We have 10 minutes. So let's just talk about that for a minute just to switch it into that just for a second. Um, so because we're talking about the vision board and how important that is uh, for your career and what you're doing there, but also in personal life. Um, so we have a workbook that I sent you and I wasn't planning on talking about this, but um, we'll just talk about it for a second. Um, how do you like that? How do you like having questions given to you to make you answer? Oh, look, oh, look at that. I can't wait to get it back. <laughs> I've right loved it. Um, I haven't done a work, uh, a mentorship workbook like this before. So it's, it's really helped push me out of my comfort zone. And I actually ended up handwriting it because there's something really magical about putting pen to paper, which is why I also did the vision board this, this way is because you're almost more intentional and especially if there's limited space you're like I could rant on forever but like <laughs> if I had to really pick like two or three sentences what would it be um and it just it's almost like a mini journaling exercise too and I'm all over that stuff <laughs> like I can't believe I'm gonna do this everyone's gonna be like no oh. but I have like motivational cards that I pull every day so this one was Do you on read that one detachment. I can be compassionately objective and see the benefit of not being attached to the outcome of events, which was a perfect card for today. And then I read from like a meditation book every morning to set myself up and I've got like some clear quartz over here. <laughs> This is the wonderful thing, right? Like when we talk to people, I mean, of course, our the people we talk to are mainly people inside aviation, but it's like, it's about that holistic view of your entire life. It's about um, being passionate about, about things and implementing that into your career. Um, you yeah. know, maybe you're even in a career that you're not too passionate about, but you're there and, you're, and that's where you're at, uh, finding passion and ways to bring that passion yeah. into your career and having it for your whole life. Go ahead. I've got so many points on that. So the game changer for me was realizing that there are jobs and situations out there where I don't have to compartmentalize my personal life and my work and I can bring them together. So just because I have books and, and crystals and multicolored pens at my office doesn't mean like you can't bring like a golf ball in if you love golf or crossword book or, or whatever you like because people will value you for when you show up. And if you're trying to kind of cut off and hide parts of yourself from people. I mean, sometimes there's scenarios where that's acceptable and it's a comfort zone thing and that's fine. But if you want to just feel more content and more yourself, it is okay to bring those elements in because people are either going to ask you about it or they're going to ignore it, really. <laughs> Most people ignore the stuff that's on my desk, but it doesn't necessarily impact how they see me or how I do my job, right? It's just, it's something for me. But in terms of passion, one of the best pieces of advice I'd heard recently, and I will admit that in the past, I had sometimes struggled with this job. I love CAF so much. There's no question I'm going to be associated with it for the rest of my life. But you have those days where you sit in your 
and you wonder like, is this really it? Is this really what I wanna do? Here is my advice for you. And a question, where did you last lose your keys? Because when you lose your keys, you're constantly going back to the places where you believe you had them last. Passion is no different. If you don't have passion now or feel, can't feel it in the moment, go back to the place, person, scenario where you last had it. Keep going back and keep connecting with it. It's always this process of like marching away and then returning, going away and then returning. And it just kind of comes full circle. So yeah, if you're, if you're struggling to feel passionate about your job or your life, go back to the last place that you had it and reconnect and go forward. Oh, that's direction. fantastic. I've never heard of it put that way before. That's incredible. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. Great. Is there anything else uh, in, in terms of the museum that we missed that you want people to know about? Not at the moment. I can't really think of anything, but we love connecting with people. So if you have any questions about the hall at all, you, you can't call us on the office cell phone because or office work phone because we won't be here as of tomorrow. But if you go to um, our website and go to the contact page, if you fill out that form, it'll go to my colleague, Catherine, and we're happy to answer like any of the questions that you have. We love talking about the hall and like we're all in a in a way passionate about aviation and like there's so many different aspects and things that comes we love community we love networking we love getting to know people and we would love to get to know you and <sighs> and when is the next canadian aviation hall of fame induction ceremony that is a really good question so what i can say for right now is that we are thinking it has to move forward no matter what in 2021 in some way, shape or form. It is a very unlikely possibility that will, it will be in person. So that leaves the only other option as being a virtual gala. Not quite the so, same, eh? I mean, some things are better virtual, but the, but the galas, we have our Elevate Gala as well. And it's like, oh, not quite the same. But yeah, it, it won't have the same ambiance and, and energy that an in-person gala would have, but it'll be interesting to see how we problem solve for this. Mm -hmm. And who knows, there could be a lot of opportunities and avenues here that we never considered because we were always doing an in-person gala. So it'll, it'll be, I love experimenting and I love finding new ways to attempt things or approach or think about things. So this will be perfect, but it will likely be a virtual virtual experience. Wow. Well, I can't wait to watch it whenever it is. I can't wait. Um, one last question. Sharon's asking, once COVID is not affecting us, can people book events at the museum? Oh, yes, they certainly can. <laughs> yes, they certainly can. So um, the Reynolds Alberta Museum has a lot of great programs that they have up for off offer. And CAF is also working on some on the back end. So we'll certainly keep the public posted we're doing so many things but we're doing the best we can and the public will that was a great question though thank you Sharon 
Okay. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for your time today. This was uh, this was so interesting to learn more about the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame and and what it's all about. And you know, I hope that when people listen to this, maybe you'll get an influx of, of nominations too uh, from people. Love that. Yeah, that would I be the best Christmas present ever. <laughs> Well, and I think people probably don't think about it, right? Like they know, uh, you know, amazing people who have had these long, amazing careers. And um, and I was just thinking of Kathy Fox, but Kathy Fox has already been nominated, of course, right? Yes, yeah. she was inducted in 2016. Yeah, yeah, like just incredible people that maybe, maybe, you know, this will inspire people to nominate them. Um, so thank you so much and I want to thank everyone who's watching today whether you're watching on Facebook or here with us on Zoom or listening to the podcast later thank you so much if you want to know any more information about Elevate Aviation it's elevateaviation.ca or you can email us at info at elevateaviation.ca if you want to know more about the mentorship program that uh, I'm working on here as well um, that uh, Aja showed her mentorship workbook let us know and we'll tell you what that's all about and I can't wait to work with you on that more, Aja. And we will see you again in the future sometime when COVID's all done and lets us get together in person sometime. We'll have to come down and visit the museum. And uh, if you're in Edmonton, ever let me know. And everyone, have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for joining us at Airtime. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye-bye, you guys. Thanks so much.